Robert Gabriel Mugabe died on September 6th at 95 years of age in a very expensive hospital in Singapore, where over the last many years of his old age, he has frequently gone for treatment. Today, September 11, his body was due to be flown back to Zimbabwe for the pomp and ceremony that his party, Zimbabwe African National Union, Patriotic Front, reserve for their hero. Almost all of the obituaries I've read refer to how he has screwed up the economy of what was once called the breadbasket of Africa. Some refer to the brutality of his regime and as a token at the end to his role in the struggle to liberate Zimbabwe, they list his qualities as an ideologue, a freedom fighter, a revolutionary hero, father of the Zimbabwe nation, pan-Africanist, African nationalist, Marxist-Leninist, and socialist. We have on the line with us Marion Dulovu, who left Canada in the mid-1960s to be a teacher in Zambia. During her stay there, during her stay there she and Edward Dulovu got married. Edward was a senior cadre in the Zimbabwe African People's Union, ZAPU, who worked from exile in Lusaka to educate, lobby, and recruit international support for the struggle to liberate white-ruled Rhodesia from the racist oppression of the Ian Smith minority regime. After independence, the family moved near Edward's home in Bulawayo, western Zimbabwe. And until very recently, Mary lived there and as a participant observer, experienced the slings and arrows and tribulations of life in the Zimbabwe that Robert Mugabe ruled from 1980 to 2017. Mary has accepted to share with Amanda listeners her insights and experience of life under Robert Mugabe. Mary, welcome to Amanda. Thank you, Doug. It's so wonderful to have you, Mary, and and I I hope I've given a a little bit of an insight into your background and where you come from. Uh, If you need to add anything, let me know. Okay, um, maybe, no, you've given the background. So in 1980, when... um, Zimbabwe gained independence. We were still in Zambia. Yeah. Um, Edward and I, and we had two children at the time. And we, um, Edward had already participated in the election pre-independence and was elected as a member of parliament for the uh, for Zapu, which was ostensibly op- opposition, but in fact they they had formed a kind of coalition um, government. Um, Edward was a member of Parliament, and um, Joshua Como and some of his other colleagues in Zappa were had joined the government as ministers. So we went home um, for independence, and we were somewhat hopeful, but knew the reputation of Mugabe and of Zanu as being rather violent and um, not very uh, accepting of opposition. So we weren't very sure how things would turn out. There was a lot of hope uh, throughout the country, but in Matabililand, where we were and where the opposition was based, well, funny to call it opposition because it, it, being part of the government, but uh, Zapu was still taken as opposition. Um, things went along um, not too badly at first, but then everything became very difficult in 1982 when... Mugabe turned on the Zapu members of his government and expelled them from the government and then started a crackdown on 
Zappu as a party. Um, this was a very difficult time, and uh, the history is, uh, of the violence here is, is quite spectacular. But please, please carry on. Well, for, for, for us, what happened was um, Mugabe formed this crack new North Korean trained unit of the army, which he sent into Matabeliland and really um, evoked terror um, in the villages where they based themselves. And, and essentially their role was to destroy Zapu. And they did it by restoring destroying or trying to destroy their base in the in the rural areas of Matabeliland. It, it turned into a massacre. And um, not only were people killed, um, tortured, many were imprisoned, and many suffered starvation because they put a curfew on the whole area and wouldn't let food in or out. Um, our own family, Edward's family, was living in Matabeliland in the south, in Rwanda, and they couldn't get in and out. We couldn't visit them. They couldn't come out. So they, they were in a lot of trouble. Uh, when there wasn't, and, and it was a time of drought, and there hadn't been much food produced in the area. Um, but for us, we were living in the city in Bulawayo, and um, what happened to us was that Edward was arrested several times. They would come at night and... Um, Sometimes, they, I remember one time they got all the children out of bed and lined them up and started asking them questions. Um, other times they just came and took Edward away until finally in 1985, after the next election, when Edward had been re-elected, um, he was detained. In Zimbabwe at the time, there was a permanent state of emergency, which was a hangover from the pre-independence. I was going to say, that was a, a, neo -col a colonial thing. <laughs> it was, indeed. And um, it, um, they could detain without trial, basically for as long as they wanted. So what would happen was the Minister of Home Affairs would sign a, a six, I think it was a 60-day detention order, and then they would pick you up, and you might not, your family might not know where they'd taken you. Uh, Edward was arrested in 1985 under a detention order, which then could be renewed and renewed. It would, there was supposed to be a tribunal to to uh, uh, review, but that was a bit of a farce. But what happened was that he was detained and then charged, along with several other ZAPU members and members of the um, military who had been ZAPU. And uh, they were charged with treason, basically, trying to overthrow the government. And he was kept in detention until finally that fell apart because they couldn't, they didn't have any witnesses. They had tortured one of them too. But he withdrew then. So when that was withdrawn, they were all eventually released. It wasn't as much as a year that he was in detention, but it was a difficult time for me. Oh my gosh, I can't and imagine how family. you survived. <laughs> Well, we survived. I mean, they didn't cut his salary. It kept coming, um, but, um, and I was working. But um, it was it was very, very difficult and not easy for the children, especially the, our youngest was five then, and, and he kept saying, why is Daddy in prison? And I, I honestly, it was very difficult to answer that question for anybody, let alone to a five-year-old. 
Absolutely. Uh, but we survived, and he was released. And after that, um, things were rather difficult still. But, uh, you know, it was just a sense of insecurity and um, never knowing quite what would happen, uh, oh. what was going to happen next. Well, um, now that... Well, now that Robert is gone, and, and of course, you, 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 that was 1980 you, or so that you went home, and you only left Zimbabwe, what, two years ago? Uh, three years ago. Three years three ago? Three years ago, yes. Uh, I was there right through that time. Right through the whole period. I mean, uh, you, you, you've, you've seen and experienced the full range of it, but, but you've also seen some of the writing about Mugabe and, and how... Uh, how uh, many of the obits, of course, almost all the obits denounce his treating of the economy. Uh, they uh, they treat uh, a lot with his uh, brutality for the le- elections over the last years. But uh, but from very early on, it was uh, I think quite evident that this uh, this man wasn't uh, much of those. Uh, uh, things that I described at the beginning of my intro. He wasn't exactly a revolutionary hero or a freedom fighter or a pan-Africanist. Uh, well, some of these myths are, are very much the party doctrine that have been imposed on the whole country. Uh, they, they, yes, they've been imposed on the country, but they've been believed by a lot of outsiders as well. Um, in the West, in the, he, he was there champion, and they chose to ignore in the 80s some of this um, brutality. They knew about it, but they ignored it. Um, But yes, there are myths, and the first one, I think that people always seem to describe him as a guerrilla leader, a freedom fighter. He he wasn't a guerrilla, and he wasn't a guerrilla leader. When the um, two liberation armies were formed, he was in prison, um, and he remained there until 1974, I think, end of 74. Um, and so the war had started. Zanla, his party's army, armed wing, had um, grown and developed and waged war from Mozambique. Zanla um, is the Zimbabwe years. African National Liberation Army. And the war yes. you're talking about included as early as 67, an incursion by uh, ZAPU and ANC forces, uh, the yes, Mikey campaign. Yes, it had been going for quite a while. And he, when he got out of prison, he then went to Mozambique to, and basically um, tried to take over leadership of the, of the army, and quite a few resisted. But he managed to persuade um, some of the guerrilla commanders, some key ones, that he was the one to be their champion, and so they accepted him, and he became the leader of the president of Zanu, and um, the political leader of the of the struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, that was towards the end of 1976 that he was accepted there. And and even but there, the, he sort of anybody that he didn't like, he eventually took out of the the guerrilla uh, out of the uh, uh, commander uh, roles. Uh, well, the, yes. Definitely. I mean, he actually imprisoned some of his own, um, not only the military people, but also some of the leading politicians imprisoned them in Mozambique, um, in underground cells um, for the duration of the struggle. So, yes, he used that kind of violence against his own party members, um, as well as against the, the Smiths. But one of the other um, 
missed, I think, that, that gets projected a great deal is that it was Zanu and Zanla that did virtually all the fighting and won the war on its own, um, forcing Smith to come to the negotiating table and make a deal for independence with African rule. But the Zapu forces seem to get left out of the struggle, and this is part of a, a ZANU myth that they've created right, to, right from independence, if not before. And Zapu had a very serious impact on Smith's forces. It, it had a different style of fighting, but it defeated Smith's forces in pitched battles along the Zambezi. Oh, man. It, and they also had an army of tanks in Zambia ready to cross the river. Very, and, very easily capable of defeating the Smith forces. Yes, well, they tried to, the Smith's army, Smith tried to attack them in their camps in Zambia, and they were fought off. They they failed completely. Um, and, and so the Smith was just as much afraid of Zapu as, as they, they were of Zanu at that time. And I think even um, the Western powers behind uh, Smith and the South Africans were also quite aware that this was uh, not going to go well. That what was not going to go well? That the war was not going well at all for Smith. Yes, yes, and it was South Africa. Especially, was was becoming extremely uh, dangerous for them. Yes, right, and Zappu was allied with um, ANC. That's another myth, in fact, is that... that, 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 um, Zanu and Mugabe were, were champions of the, the struggle in South Africa. They actually were not allied with the ANC. Not at and all. And they treated the ANC quite badly in the early years of, the, of, of um, independence, in the early 80s, when, AN, when the South African struggle was um, advancing. Uh, so there are a lot of myths that have been created about Mugabe. Um, and revolutionary? I don't think so. He didn't really attempt to to create anything other than a capitalist economy um, in Zimbabwe after independence. In fact, he those who tried to create um, cooperatives were not assisted at all. Um, he carried on with a with a basically a capitalist um, mode of production in in every sphere. Zimbabwe was open for business. It was, and it still is, but nobody wants to go there. So corruption was another method that he used. Uh, my goodness, the the whole, uh, right through from the beginning, but, but also tremendous repression internally. Even in the eastern province for the first election, there was a lot of uh, repression to make sure that his his own people lined up behind him. In the first election, you mean in 1980? 1980, 1980 the yeah. election. Yes, in, indeed. In fact, um, Nkoma went to, to Lord Soames, who was the British representative, uh, sort of overseeing the election, and uh, complained that Zapu could not campaign in large parts of the country, particularly in the Northeast, which, which was very heavily populated and had lots of votes. Um, and Soames rather dismissed it. Um, and so, yes, the, it was um, not, if we look at election, from 1980 right through to the last one that Mugabe fought in 2013, I can't say that we could ever have what they call a free and fair election if there is such a thing. Um, all of them, in all of them, 
violence was used, fraud, electoral fraud was used, and heavy intimidation. They were factors. It's difficult to measure these things, and you can't know uh, how people might have voted if they hadn't been afraid. But many were afraid, and um, at every election there were problems. So, and the elections were content, contested. So I, I've only got like a few minutes left. There's so much more to cover, Mary, and I, I wish we had like two hours to do this. Uh, <laughs> but we, with our four minutes, what are the, the kind of things that remain with you as a human and as a as a as a observer of the scene who has has been involved for so long? My goodness, over sixty years by now, fifty years, fifty years. Wow. Uh, what remains yes. to you of the Mugabe legacy? That uh... Uh, It's a very sad one because Zimbabwe could have been so different. It had so much potential and it had a, a good basis, uh, even though it was unequal and unfair. Smith had laid the basis for many uh, much development, which could have taken place after independence. Um, to me, the the economy of that country has completely been ruined. And the people live in not only poverty, but misery. On the edge of starvation now, it just gets worse. Um, he destroyed every productive sector. Um, the only thing left now really is mining, and it's not doing all that well either. Um, so, complete economic collapse, he destroyed the economy. But he also undermined the possibility of developing a democracy by um, his despotic methods of ruling, um, undermining the, the, those pillars that are necessary for democracy, the, the respect of opposition, uh, the civil rights, um, and the independent judiciary. Those are all, and, and the free media uh, in, as well. All of those things are important, and he undermined all of them systematically, particularly after... 2000, but even before then. And so Zimbabwe has been completely crippled. And um, I, it's worse than ever under his successor. The successor has taken over the whole system, and it continues. But it, it deteriorates even further. So I, I, his legacy is a very negative one, in spite of a few um, achievements, which unfortunately were short-lived. Um and he set such a bad example for the, for the rest of Africa or, or any other country that hopes to develop. And it's, it's a very sad outcome, I'm afraid. Mary, I thank you so, so much for sharing, uh, sharing with us all of this. And, uh, well, uh, one hopes that we can do something to, to recuperate uh, from uh, the, the tragic legacy he's left. We hope so, yes. Good night to you and thank you. Good night, Doug. Thank you.